Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Let's thank God for being together this morning. Let's celebrate being the church. So glad to be with you here today. And also everybody who's with us online, we love you as well. There's always uh, about two or 300 people that join us online every week. And so we're thankful for you uh, being part of our family during these crazy times. I love that video. I'm getting kind of a Tron vibe this morning. I might go home and watch it. So uh, this is just a new series called One. We're talking about how to be one as the church in really divisive times. And um, before we move on, man, God did some great stuff in the room last week. I was blown away. And I've been hearing stories all this week. If you weren't here, we just talked a lot about the strongholds in our lives and, and that we all have sort of these, these false narratives that run in the background of our minds. And, and we just said, God, would you heal us from those things? And we took a moment to pray for one another. And so many of you stood up and, and you embraced the awkward, right? And you were like, all right, I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm going to pray for somebody because I know that praying for somebody is a little scary for a lot of people. Uh, you feel like maybe you need the right words and, and you don't. Uh, but many of you stood up, you prayed for for people, and I'm just hearing about how God used that in incredible ways, uh, literally to set people free from things they've been struggling with for their whole lives. Um, by praying for people last week, you are literally saving lives. And so without getting into the details, I want you to know that when you move because God asked you to do something, powerful things happen, okay? So that's what we're talking about here today as we talk about the mission of God, and that is the church that we actually are part of this thing that God is calling us to do, and that there's so much more to be done after just saying yes to Jesus. Maybe at some point you were kind of told that, like you just pray this prayer at one point and the story's over. No, the story's just beginning. And so we're going to talk this series about how does the church unify around the things that God wants us to unify around? How can we look totally different from the world that we live in? So that's where we're going. You guys with me? Anybody, if you're here, say amen. All right, sweet. Helps me to know you're here. All right. So John 17, if you want to open up a Bible, that's where we're going to start off. Jesus is praying for his disciples, but he's also going to pray for us. And the things he talks about in this text uh, really impact down through generations and uh, have a lot to say for the way that we might live in the divisive, outrage culture that we find ourselves in here today. So this is John 17, verse 20. Here it is. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So I was reading this week about a man named Jonathan Haidt who taught Psychology 101 at the University of Virginia, and he published a book describing some of his findings about uh, how we make decisions as people. And it turns out that when we go through life, we react mostly according to our gut. Do you know you have a gut? 
Maybe you've said this before, like, <laughs> some of you are like, yeah, after thanks, or uh, Halloween, I got a gut. And uh, coming into Thanksgiving, no, this is your gut feeling. Uh, you have a gut that you use to, like, d- make decisions and make choices based on, like, gut decisions. And so what he describes is that we act out based on our gut feeling, and then our mind sort of comes along behind like a little lawyer to defend why what we did or what we said was the right thing to do. And he describes this using a word that I learned this week. It was my first time using this word or hearing this word, and maybe it's new for you. It's the word confabulation. It's word of the day at ACF Church, confabulation. And here's what confabulation is. It's when we fill in the gaps of our beliefs with made-up facts to reinforce what we currently think to be true. And we all do this. We fill in the blanks of the gaps to, to just confabulate. So you're going to have to use this on your kids maybe later today. If you have kids, you know, it sounds like you're just confabulating or your wife or your husband, right? When they're just making up stuff to fill in the blanks to prove that what they think is right, right? We've all done this before. And when this really goes wrong in our lives is when we begin to build tribes around our way of thinking and then surround ourselves with people who confirm our beliefs, And many of you have heard the term confirmation bias. This is our desire just to confirm what we currently believe, to feel like we are right. And so we build these tribes around us to confirm our beliefs, and we end up with what Jonathan Haidt calls the myth of pure evil. The myth of pure evil. And so this gets into our minds. If you believe in the myth of pure pure evil, or if it has actually kind of worked its way out in your mind, it, it comes along with these thoughts. And the thought sounds something like this. The first thought is this. Everyone is influenced by their lived experiences except me. You're impacted by your parents that you grew up with, or by the house that you grew up in, or, you know, by the culture that you live in, but not me. Not me. I, I have an objective worldview that is not impacted by my surrounding circumstances. So the next thought is this. Most people agree with what is clearly obvious to me. And now why do we think this? Because around us are nothing but people who think like me, right? And we talked about this a few weeks ago, that like all social media and Facebook, all the algorithms are built to confirm what you already believe. It makes you happy. It makes you get on more and then buy more junk that they put in your newsfeed. So they figured this out, that if you just give people the information that they want to see, that they'll just be around more and they can make lots of money. So we start to think most people agree with what's clearly obvious, which then the next thought is this. If you disagree with me, you must be pure evil, pure evil. I mean, not just wrong, but to disagree with what I think to be true because it's clearly obvious and I'm not impacted by my surrounding experiences. So I know the truth. If you disagree with it, you're not just wrong. You are literally pure evil. Maybe you've thought this before. Maybe you've experienced this. Maybe somebody has told you, like, man, you must be evil to think in the way that you think. And so here's how it works. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some statements here. And I'm going to make statements on both sides of the line of these different issues. And this is how it plays out in our culture. And so if you find yourself flinching, um, just, just wait. I'm going to talk about both sides. Okay? So here we go. <clears throat> All maskers are pure evil. All anti-maskers are pure evil. All liberals are pure evil. All conservatives are pure evil. All public school parents are pure evil. All homeschool parents are pure evil. All pro-life people are pure evil. All pro-choice people are pure evil. All people who support gay rights are pure evil. All people who do not support gay rights are pure evil. All people who think that gender is a spectrum are pure evil. All people who think that gender is binary are pure evil. All the rich are pure evil. Everybody knows all the poor are pure evil. I've got more. You offended yet? So that was the goal. Like offend everybody in the room. I'm pretty sure I left nobody out. But this is what the society has become, isn't it? And this is where the us versus them mentality happens. And it's made its way into the church, right? I mean, politics have been terrible over the past few years. And they have come into the church. And and we have started to divide even the family of God in ways that I think hurt the mission of God. And so this week in this message, I've entitled One Mission. What does it mean to have one mission as 
the church family. So back to John 17. The context of this is that this is the Last Supper. Jesus is really preaching his last big sermon to his guys. This is like the big pep talk, right? He's Vince Lombardi giving the big speech, like this is this is what's going to happen. This is the game speech. And and then at this point, he, he knows that he's going to leave, right? He knows that he's going to leave them and that there's going to be some challenges without his presence in the room. So if you know anything about the disciples, like they're a very mixed crowd of different people and Jesus is sort of the glue that keeps them together. Maybe you've got a friend like this that is the glue. Like they're the person that, you know, when they call you, they get a big crowd together. Like they're the one that's texting all the friends on Friday night and they're like, hey, you want to go to a movie or, you know, go out or do something like that. But when that person's not around, nobody hangs out. There's a, a, maybe a division there, and Jesus is the glue that's keeping them together. But he's going to leave, right? He's going to be crucified on a cross, and then he's going to be resurrected from the dead, and then they're going to be starting this movement called the church that we still experience here today. Now, he chose this group of men very specifically, and, and, and it's really interesting. Most scholars believe that uh, the disciples were between the ages of 13 and 30 years old. Now, um, I don't know about you, but when I was between those ages, which I'm not anymore, so newsflash to me, um, I had strong opinions. I had really strong opinions. There's something about that demographic that, like, I know when I was, like, 18 years old, I thought I kind of had the world on lockdown. I figured out, you know, how to see things. I had the right worldview at that point. I learned that I had a lot to learn. That's part of growing up. But this is the crowd that he puts together. A lot of young men, very passionate And he doesn't just choose passionate young men, but he chooses people that come from different sides of the political aisle and says, hey, let's be a family together and start the church, right? Like, I don't know about you, but if you were coming up with like a church planting group and you were choosing a team, would you choose people who thought differently or the same? Like, you'd probably go, let's get people who are alike, you know, who see the world the same and let's move forward together because there's going to be less fighting. Jesus is like, no, let's find the two people that see things completely different and let's put them in a room together and say, hey, you're a family now. So let's pull out two of them. So he's got Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax tax collector who he invites to be on the dream team. Like this original crew. Now, Simon the Zealot. So if you don't know what what the word zealot means, a zealot is someone who acts in extreme and even reckless ways to support a cause that they believe. That's a zealot. Uh, so not always a specific religion, but, you know, to them it's a religion. It's a, something they passionately, passionately believe. And so, uh, like the Greenpeace people, right, who chain themselves to the front of an oil rig, you know, to protect the environment. Like, their religion is saving the environment, and they're willing to do whatever it takes, even put their bodies in harm's way to protect what they believe is right. So you've got this guy, Simon. And Simon is literally working to incite riots to overthrow the Roman government in order to give power back to the Jews. That's what he wants to do. So he's working together with his buddies to try to incite riots to overthrow the Roman government to give power back to the Jews. Then you've got Matthew. And you've got Matthew. Matthew's hated by everybody. Like, he's that guy. Nobody likes Matthew. And here's why. Matthew is a Jewish man who pledged allegiance to the state and is a professional extortioner of the Jews. He rips all the Jews off. So he's hated by the Jews for his job, and then he's also hated by the Romans because he's Jewish. Nobody likes Matthew, right? And so, in fact, I was just thinking about the moment that Jesus encounters Matthew. He's walking down the street with some of the other disciples, and in Matthew 9, it says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And the other disciples were like, all right, this is the moment. Jesus is going to open his mouth, and he's going to let Matthew have it. How dare you? How could you rip off my people? How could you be a thief like you are? Like, shame on you. Jesus opens his mouth and says, follow me. He told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Which I'm like, Matthew had no friends. He was like, sweet. All right, I got some friends. Somebody likes me. That's great. That's great. He doesn't say, shame on you, you sinner. He says, follow me. Join the family. So I just want you to get your head wrapped around this, this ragtag group of Christians that are intended to start the church and how different they were and how much potential there was for division within the original group, the original 12 that were to start this movement. And then so Jesus knows this. He sees it coming and he prays a specific prayer for them as he moves forward. Matthew seventeen twenty. my prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who believe in me through their message. And so what he's about to talk about is for them, but it's also for us. 
So 2,000 years ago, Jesus was praying for you. He knew that in 2021, you would be sitting in this room, part of this greater movement. And he's praying for them. He's praying the same thing for us. Why? Because we have the same problems they did. Like what we have here is the most crazy thing, if you think about it. And now if you've been in the church for a while, you just hop in your car and come to church on Sunday and leave. And you might not think much about what happens in this room every week. But I want you to think culturally in our city, there is nothing else happening like this. Where people like you and people like me come together under the banner of Jesus Christ and actually do something together. It's just not happening. It it is the most countercultural thing. And so what Jesus is going to pray is not just for them. It's actually for us. It's going to have generational impact. Their lives will, as well as our lives. In John 17, 21, it says that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. And so Jesus is praying for something that I would call oneness. Oneness. He's concerned about the church. He knows that there's going to be a a competitive nature within the body of Christ, that people are going to desire for power and authority and jockey for position. And he's like, no, what I want you to do is is to be one, as I am in, in you and as you are in me. And so this is Trinitarian language. Jesus is describing his relationship with the Father. So what we believe um, if you're new to our church, is that, um, that the, God, the Godhead exists in three persons in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all one. And so Jesus has coexisted with the Father and the, and the Holy Spirit for all of eternity. He didn't just show up when he, when he came to earth. He was God in the flesh sent to earth for the sins of the world. And so this is Trinitarian language, and he's saying like, hey, I'm praying that all of them may be one just as you are in me and I am in you. That's crazy when you think about it. Like, this isn't just unity. And I kept getting hung up on the word unity when I was reading this message. And, and it's, unity is a good word, like being unified with other people. But there's something so much deeper going on here that Jesus is praying for the church. Not just unity, oneness. What kind of oneness? What would this look like? And what came to my mind was um, some friends of ours, uh, they were missionaries in St. Petersburg, Russia for a while. And when they came back to the United States, they brought some little gifts with them, and they brought us one of these. Have you seen these before? Who knows what these are? Anybody? Yeah, Russian nesting dolls. These are really cool, fun to play with. Each one fits into the next one. There's this kind of connection that they have, right? How could they all do that? But they do. They all fit inside of one another. There's a, a tightness and a closeness that they have. The tolerances of these little things have to be really close for them all to, to fit together. And I was just thinking about that for the church, like, this is, this is so much more than, oh, yeah, I sit next to her on Sundays at church. Oh, yeah, that, that's that guy that, you know, I did that ministry thing with at church one day. Like, we served at this Impact Eagle River thing next to each other. Oh, yeah, no, that's the guy that I had in my Bible study at one. Like, this is deeper than that. This oneness is this connectivity that I think maybe we have underestimated in the church. Like, if you're a believer, if you've said, yep, I'm on Team Jesus, you know, that you have actually walked into not just a team, but even a family with a closeness and a connectivity that that is meant to change the world, that is meant to be looked upon by the world, and people should go, like, this is so countercultural, so otherworldly, so supernatural that I have to ask some questions. I was reading in Ephesians 5 this week, and it describes this kind of relationship in relation to to marriage, this connection that happens when you get married. And here's what it says in verse 31. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become, say this word with me, one, one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So maybe you've heard this described before specifically uh, in Ephesians, he's, ta- he's talking about the act of sex. He's like, when you get married, there's this one fleshness that happens where the, the marriage is consummated and the two become one. That's why it's such an important thing to take seriously, right? Because this oneness that happens through that physical act is more than just a physical act. It's a spiritual connection that happens. And so it goes deep and he's describing that oneness. Then he's like, oh yeah, that kind of oneness, it's like Christ in the church. So he's literally saying, this is, this is, these are the layers. Like, Jesus is saying, the way that I'm one with the Father, I am also one with the church, and the church is one with each other. Isn't that crazy? 
That that's the kind of oneness that Jesus is inviting us into. Like, it's wild when you think about it that God literally designed the human body to reflect the oneness that he's expecting out of the church. Which is overwhelming to consider. That's deeper than like, oh, I do that for an hour on Sunday, go to church, you know, like spend a little time, sing a couple songs, then I go home. This is something so much deeper than I think many of us have ever considered. He goes on, he continues to pray in verse 21. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So it starts off with us being one in Jesus, right? So if you're not one with Jesus, you're not going to be one with the church. So this is the important thing. It's like if you're here today and you're not a Christian, and that's, that's okay, that's, that we want you to be here, but we're not saying like be one with everybody in the world. That's, that's something that doesn't exist, okay? That, that's, that's a false reality. That's something that can't ever exist because we live in a world that worships everybody's God. Everybody has their own God. So there's no way to be one, yet we as the church come together under the name of Jesus and we can be one. And so I'm not saying, hey, everybody's one. It's no, as believers in Jesus who are one with God, he's saying, if you're one with God, I want you to be that kind of oneness so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world may believe that God sent Jesus to the earth. If you have a pen, write this down. When we become one, people believe Jesus was God. This is how it works. Like people start to give validity to who Jesus was, this guy that lived 2,000 years ago, when we, as the church, live as one, which conversely must mean that when we don't live as one, they question whether or not Jesus was who he said he was. Which, have you got a friend that does that? I know, I've got friends that say stuff like that. They're like, man, how can I believe in Jesus? Even the Christians don't get along, you know? Even the Christians are divided. I mean, how could I ever believe in this guy that says he was God? Like, there's, there's nothing different about the church. But he's saying, hey, when you become one, people will believe that Jesus was actually God. He goes on in verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me. Glory. This is cool. When you become a follower of Jesus, you get the glory of God on you. Do you know you have the glory of God on you? That the goodness of God and, and the image of God lives inside of you and the glory of God. This word glory is the Greek word doxa, which is just fun to say. It, it's where we get the word doxology, um, which some of you are church people. Like, you know, the, the whole, praise God from whom all blessing flow. Anybody? Anybody with me? Okay. Seven of you. Sweet. The rest of you are like, I have no idea. You can look it up later. The doxology, it's a, it's a hymn of praise, of giving glory to God, Right? And so he's literally saying, I have put the glory of God on my people. So write this down if you would. When we become one, God gets the glory. Amen to that, huh? Like, man, it's a, it's a beautiful thing when the church lives together in unity that we become one and then God gets the glory. That means whatever God has placed inside of you, whatever good thing that God has put inside of you that you found, do you know that that's not just for you? It's for the glory of God. See, our tendency is, if we see glory inside of us, it's to give glory to ourselves. But you need to know this. If there's glory in you, it's intended to give praise and honor to God, which is, this is what we're about as a church, by the way. If, if you're new here and you don't know what ACF's about, we come together every single week. We spend an hour, which I hope it's more than that in our lives, but an hour saying, my life will fail if it's only centered around giving praise to myself. But my life will give joy and satisfaction to me and others if it's centered around giving praise and glory to God. And so that's what we do together. We center our affections on God. We sing praises. We, we lift our hands just to indicate, like, I'm here to do something. And, and I want you to know, like, if you're here, it, it's really important that you participate, right? That you don't just, just come here as a spectator to watch things happen. Like, we need this moment in our, t- in our lives, in our week, to come together to be like, I'm here, and the glory inside of me is for God and God alone, not for me. So when we become one, God gets the glory. People will see that. Here's the problem, though. This is easier, or this is harder than it sounds, easier to say than it is to be lived out, to live as one, because we as human beings all like to be right. I won't ask for a show of hands, but do you like to be right? Yeah, okay, some of you are very honest. Yes, I do. I do too. I love to be right. And so the tendency within the church is as we grow in our faith, as we learn the Bible, and as we develop preferences about things in the church, is that we want everyone to center around us. Once again, 
the natural tendency is to want to be God, not to worship God. That's always, even after you follow Jesus, it turns out that we all kind of want to be our own gods. And so there's always this vacuum of like, I want to come back to making this place or this thing about me. And so we all want to be right. We've talked before as a church about how, as you read the Bible, what you're going to find is that there are different types of issues in the Bible. And we've, we've kind of parsed them out into three categories. The first type of issue are primary issues. The second type of issues are secondary issues. And then the third type are what you could call tertiary issues. I'll give you some examples. So a primary issue would be the Trinity. We just talked about that. This is a non-negotiable. Like if you don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God and was God, then you're not a Christian. Like that's key to being a Christian. That's a primary thing. A primary belief would be resurrection. We don't believe Jesus is dead. We believe he's alive. If you believe Jesus is dead, you don't believe in the real Jesus. You have some kind of made-up Jesus in your mind, but that's not the real Jesus. We believe salvation comes through grace alone, through faith alone, right? That you don't show up here and get some brownie points from God and, like, get saved because you showed up to church, which, I mean, today you got an extra hour to get ready, so you get zero points for showing up here, right? God is not impressed with your attendance. Like, he's impressed with somebody who shows up and gives their heart to him, who uses the glory inside of them to give praise to God, but he's not impressed with the good things that you try to do. That doesn't impress him. So these are key issues, primary issues, non-negotiable things like you and I, like that's something I will go to bat for. Then there's secondary issues. And these are, these are things that are good to talk about, right? Uh, things like how to read the book of Revelation. That's a fun one, right? That one will kind of get a couple churches going different directions or a couple Christians maybe arguing with one another. Uh, you know, another secondary issue would be old earth versus young earth uh, creation theory. So different people are like, was it actually six days or whatever? And so some people, man, they will, they will go to bat for that one, man. Go down fighting over creation. Baptism by submersion or sprinkling. Some of you were submersed in a tank somewhere. You know, somebody, maybe you went to the Jordan, you know, you did that whole experience. Some of you got like a mist of water thrown at you. You know, like there's a lot of arguments about which one is the biblical way and Again, these are secondary issues. And then there's tertiary issues, which is like the style of music we use in church. You know, maybe, it's, maybe it is your thing. Maybe it's not your thing. Uh, like, does the pastor have an eyebrow ring? Like, that's a tertiary issue. Which, this is so funny. I got to share this. This is like, this is a long time ago. This lady came up to me in the lobby. Maybe you're here. Um, <laughs> this is about you. She came up to me in the lobby, and she was like, she's like, man, I came into this church, and I sat down, and I'm like, oh, no. We were church shopping. She's like, it's a church with a fog machine and the pastor's got an eyebrow ring. It's one of those churches. <laughs> and then she says, and then you preached the gospel in it. And it just hit me in the heart and it hit me in the soul. And I was like, thanks, I guess. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I trying to say like, yeah, I did yourself there, buddy. I don't know what, what that was, but I get it though. Like you come in with your opinions, right? Should churches hand out uh, candy at Halloween? is a tertiary issues. We hear things about that every single year. Should this be done? We can argue about these things, but here's the deal. Listen, don't miss this today. Our temptation is to turn tertiary or secondary issues into primary issues so that God aligns with our preferences or our opinions just like the Pharisees did. We all want to be right. We all want to be on this team that is the right team, and we all want Jesus on our team. We're not so interested in getting on Jesus' team. We just want him on our team. Does that make sense? And so what we'll do is if we have opinions and perspectives, we throw everything in the primary camp because we think that we've got a little bit more weight behind us. This is everybody's temptation. I'll tell you, like, I, re- I, I was a worship leader through what were called the worship wars, which if you lived in the church during, like, the late 90s and uh, I mean, there's always been issues in churches over, like, what kind of music and stuff, but, man, it was hard it's hard. Our church uh, back in the day tried to do what was called the blended worship service. Oh my, so nobody was happy, right? It was like, let's make everybody unhappy. Do a couple songs that these people hate and a couple songs that these people hate. And then let's, let's send all the anger at the worship leader. So good luck, Mason. We'll do that next week. But it was hard. It was really difficult. And, and I think what, from a good heart, leaders were trying to do, and some maybe still do this, the, the desire is, man, I just want to serve people I just want to unify around things that matter, and so let's give everybody their preferences. And what you ended up with was two churches. Like, hey, we're the, we're the this music church, and we're the that music church. And then they end up fighting each other, and, and in the end, like, you're not leading in unity. The church is definitely far from one if we can't agree on a 
music style. If we can't put our preferences aside for a couple minutes and worship Jesus together, man, that's a, that's a broken church. And I saw it and I've seen it before. And the reality is like, we all want Jesus in our team. Uh, during the election, I heard one pastor say it this way. It's worth saying again, is that Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. That'll preach, right? What's that mean? That means that Jesus transcends the arguments. That means that Jesus isn't on your side or my side. He's on his own side. And it's our job to come underneath Jesus and worship him and not make it about being right or turn secondary or tertiary things into primary things just to please our preferences. See, all of these things sideline the church and they have for years. But when a church is like, no, this is what we believe to be most important, and we give grace with the things that are not so important, that's a church on mission. That's a church that's changing the world. That's a church I want to be a part of. John 17, 23, why did Jesus want them to live as one? He says this, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Complete unity. So write this down if you would. When we become one, we live in unity. So the oneness is who you are. When you, when you follow Jesus, you say, man, I, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. You don't just get Jesus, you get a family, okay? Some of you are like, that's great. Others of you are like, my family's jacked up, you know, for what it is. I don't need another family. But this is your family. You're, you're part of the church, and, and you become one with the people of God. And we're not all the same, and we're very different, and we're growing together. So oneness is who we are, but unity is how we live. Does that make sense? The oneness is, it's, this is an identity thing. God says, hey, you are one in Christ Jesus. You're one with Jesus first and then one with the church. And now how we pursue to live is in unity with one another, right? This is like a marriage. If you're married today, you know to be married means you pick your battles, right? I know you thought maybe you could get them to come along to your side, right? You're like, if I give this guy a couple years, right, he's going to start making his bed. And you're like, man, I, I don't know. What, it's been 45 years. He's still leaves his underwear on the floor and doesn't make, I don't know what it is, but like at some point you got to pick your battles, right? You go, what's most important? Is this really worth dividing over? And we've all been in places where we've chosen the wrong battle, haven't we? With a friend, with a spouse, with, with whoever in our lives, with somebody else in the church. But this is like a next level relationship that I think a lot of Christians didn't know they were getting themselves into when they prayed some prayer at a camp back in 1987. It's like, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but God was inviting you into a family, a oneness, a deep relationship. He goes on in verse 23, he says this, once all of this happens, like when a church gets this oneness, I and you and you and me, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus is calling us to be ambassadors of God's love through the way we live as one. You can write this down. When we become one, people realize God loves them. This is cool. This is when some momentum happens in the church, and I'm seeing this in ACF Church right now. There's some incredible things happening right now in our midst because many of you are living as one. You're doing more than just kind of showing up to church, but you're becoming the church. And that's the journey that we're on is becoming the church together, becoming one. And when we become one, people realize God loves them. We start to go somewhere together, right? Anybody can sit in a room with other people, but not everybody goes on mission together. That's another level of being part of this thing. It's why we did this trunk or treat thing this last week, which if you, were you there? There were like 3,000 people came on our property. It it was, it was crazy, like totally bananas. We had no idea that it was going to be this kind of a turnout in our community. In fact, we had people that were like running to every grocery store. We bought out cars, Fred Meyer, Three Bears, uh, what else? And Walmart. Thank you. Some of the drivers. Yeah. No candy left in Eagle River because you guys gave it all away. Praise God for that. Yeah, we can think. It's amazing. So good. We kind of thought the candy was important, right? Children waiting in line for an hour. No candy, right? Oh, that'd be brutal. So, but you know, like, when somebody's sitting in line, and they stood there for an hour, some, some of you did as well, and the people who aren't part of ACF are like, why are they doing this? 
What would possess them? And they come around the corner because they were literally lined all the way around the back of the property, onto the side street, down by the bank. When they come around the corner and they see 40 cars set up, which if you were part of that, thank you so much for serving. Thank you for spending time on that. They were like, how do you even get 40 people to do something together like this? To spend all of their own time, all of their money on candy and, and decorations just for my kids to smile for 10 minutes? You just need to get this. Like the answer is really simple. God loved us so that we could love you. That's it. God loved us so that we could love you. That's why we exist. It's why we have Hope to Alaska. Hope to Alaska is just, a, it's, a, it's a ministry we have where we realized a lot of people need counseling and can't afford it. Um, and, and so money becomes a big barrier. And so we, we have, I think, the highest suicide rate in the nation in Alaska. And we said, well, what if we could do something about that just to get people some help? And so many of you bought t-shirts for way too much money. Some of you spent 500 bucks on a t-shirt because you were like, I want to give to this thing. And so now we have people who have donated to Hope to Alaska, and now we can actually connect people with the need for counseling with the finances to support them. And, and some of you have been a part of that. And I just, I want you to know, if you're here today and your marriage is a wreck, if you're here today and you feel just a weight and a heaviness because it's getting dark in Alaska right now, and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it, please, we want, we want to give you some help. So make sure you go to one of the tables before you leave outside at the welcome booth, and we'd love to get you connected to that. That would be totally anonymous. So why do we do it? God loved us so that we could love you. That's why. It's that simple. And I was just thinking about this week, uh, as a church family, we do a lot of that stuff together. It's, it's a commitment of ours. We have something called Impact Eagle River, which is really exciting. And, and this year is a huge year because we're, we're putting together something called Impact Alaska, and we've got churches around the state of Alaska who are beginning to work together so that on one day next spring, we could all come together to serve our entire state. It's going to be awesome. So I'm, I'm just really excited about it. There's just like, a, like an openness to this with other churches right now. And so this thing that we're preaching on is happening because this is about more than ACF Church. This is about the Big C Church, like, like the church global working together. And when that happens, guys, it's there's no telling what, what might happen in our state. So we're really excited about that. But I'll tell you, every year we do impact. We're always praying as a team, like, man, we just want people to engage. We just want something for you because I always feel bad when people don't show up. I feel bad for you. And so Impact Eagle River happens, and, and we do our little prayer time every, every Sunday morning for impact. And so we, we cancel our Sunday morning service so that we can go out and serve people in our community. And when we show up, it's always about 50% of ACF Church shows up. Now, don't get me wrong. We do a lot of good stuff. and We have no problem serving our city when 50% of you show up. That's a good crowd of people. But I'm always kind of like, where's the other 50%, right? Like, some of you, let's be real, you plan to get COVID the day before Impact Eagle River happens, right? That's the day. It's like, ah, I got my, it's just bad. It's just bad in my house. Which, as I look at the past years, if, if all of you got COVID the day before, you got to do a better job of communicating with your pastor. Because I'm like, I want to care for you, be praying for you. And, but let's be real. I mean, it's like, there's just something better going on that day. Or there's just something that's, I mean, you're just scared, right? You're like, man, I don't know. I don't want to do that. It doesn't feel comfortable for me. You don't want to be uncomfortable. But to be one in mission means that we as a church family go like, man, I want to step up and be a part of the things that God is doing. And if I want you to hear me too. If you're here and you're like, Brian, I'm not even a Christian or I just got invited. I'm new to the church. Like we want nothing from you. Like this is a bit of a family conversation as we talk about being one. And so like we talk about this in our offering at the end of service, when we take the offering, this one's on the house. So don't feel any pressure to give to the mission. But there can be such a tendency to see God work through the church and want to celebrate the good things God's doing when we weren't really a part of those things. In fact, uh, one of the other pastors here a while back was, was doing a little outreach at Fred Meyer and uh, was handing out like these little goodie bags and invites to the church and they were sitting there and he was telling me about this later. He said he was like sitting there, this lady came up and she's like, man, this is awesome. And he's like, oh yeah, do you know ACF Church? And she's like, yeah, I, I, I go to ACF. And he's like, cool. And she goes, I am so glad that we're doing this. And then she walked off and he's telling me later, he's like, she wasn't doing anything, right? Like we were doing this, but she felt like we're doing this. Now here's the deal. Maybe, maybe she is giving and so she's helping pay for the goodie bags. Maybe she helped plan the event. He didn't know it. She was like part of making it happen. But the, 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 the tendency can be, and we all have this in us, we want to take 
the credit for the good things God is doing without the sacrifice that it takes to be part of the mission. It's getting quiet in church today. So and this is not an easy message, just so you know. Like if you're, if you're like, man, this is pretty intense. This is intense. But I just, this is such an important thing that you understand that the mission of God, it's, it's literally why you exist. This is why you're here. It's for the mission. I remember a pastor told me years ago, and it always stuck with me, there's only one thing you'll never be able to do in heaven, and it's share the gospel. So if you have breath in your lungs today and you're a believer in Jesus, you don't exist just so you can learn some more Bible. Or just so you can come another Sunday and get inspired by the pastor. Or just so you can do another Beth Moore study or another book on, you know, study on Exodus. You don't exist for those things. Those are good things. We do those things together. But that's not why you exist. You exist for our city, for the glory of God and for the good of our community. That's why you have breath in your lungs today. That's the only reason you have breath in your lungs today. And that's what's so unique about Team Jesus is that every other team, every other tribe that exists in our culture is all about fighting against the other teams. We are the only team, the only family that is fighting for the other teams. Like we are on the side of Jesus to see people come to faith in Christ. Maybe you've uh, said this before. You had one job. You ever said that before? (laughs) You had one. I left the house for five minutes, told you what to do. I came back. You didn't do it. You had one job. Maybe you've seen these before. You had one job. Here we go. This one's pretty good. <laughs> Noli. I don't know what that means. It meant something to somebody. How about this? You had one job. <laughs> give, you a th- give you a second. I'm just like, did they type it in? And they're like, I'll come back to that later. And they forgot. I have no idea. Uh, how about this one? You had one job. been pretty consistent across the service. About 30% of you are like, what? I don't. <laughs> Just Google it. You'll get it. You'll get it later. This last one's my favorite. You had one job. <laughs> Who thought that was a good idea, right? <laughs> this is an actual picture of the ACF men's bathroom, by the way. Like forced friendship. Like you will get to know each other one way or another. <laughs> oh, man. You've always got somebody that's for you, right there. Always got somebody. Yeah, I'm glad that's not behind me anymore. No, I just, I was thinking about this this week. You had one job. Like, Jesus is literally giving that sermon to his guys. And I believe he wants to give it to ACF Church today. You have one job. See, all of the people in these pictures, we laugh because we're like, that person lost their vision at some point. Like, forgot what they were doing and why they were doing it. Right? There's something... uh, in, in the business world, in the military, something called mission drift. Maybe you've heard that term before, but it's just a tendency that if we don't remind ourselves constantly of why we exist, that we'll have a tendency to drift towards something, and it's not the mission. And I just want you to know, your tendency, my tendency as human beings, will be to drift toward whatever pleases my personal preferences, whatever makes me most comfortable, Whatever makes me most happy in the, mo- in the moment and whatever takes the least amount of sacrifice. That's where I drift. I never drift towards sacrifice, towards discomfort, or towards loving someone that's unlovable. Never do it. And yet, aren't those all the things that God is calling the church to do and to become? And so this will not happen on its own. It's why as a pastor, like, you're going to hear this sermon in various forms for a long time. Well, I'll never stop preaching the same thing, which is that we are to be one on mission together and, and to not lose sight of why we exist. And we will never be able to do what we're calling, uh, God's calling us to do unless we're one with one another. But once we understand what God is calling us to be here as a family, like we can do this. I love what Paul says in Acts 20. This was so much on his mind. He says, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. What a beautiful prayer. I mean, mean, as you plan your life, as you think later today, like what's going on on Monday? How do I schedule my life? How do I plan my time? Like, I get it. We're all busy. That's always the excuse. We're always busy. But when your only aim is to testify to the grace of Jesus, you'll never be too busy for it. 
You'll never be too uncomfortable for it. One of our young adults, she's a part of our volunteer staff at ACF. And at staff meeting this week, she was just like, I really wanted to pray for someone last week. And I just was like, I had this battle inside of me. You know the battle? The battle of like the spirit of God's like, hey, talk to that person, care for that person, give to that person. And you're like, Ugh. and so I just loved how she described this like awkward moment where she's like, I wanted to do it. I wanted to pray for this guy and I didn't know what to do. And it took me like five minutes to wrestle with God. And then the time was up and she said, I ran out of time. So I just like sat at his feet. And I'm like, that's awesome. She just sat at his feet and prayed. And the thing is, man, God is calling you to do uncomfortable stuff. And that uncomfortable stuff, I promise you, will result in miraculous things. Again, not because you were so good at it. Like, in fact, the first time you start doing uncomfortable things, you'll probably feel like you failed at it. You'll probably feel like there was no fruit at all. But what it shows is that over time, fruit grows. God does incredible things as we believe that our ultimate task is to testify to the good news of God's grace. And I know the tendency might be today to hear all of this and to walk away with kind of this in your mind, like, hey, good sermon, pastor. If it happens, that's great. But telling people about Jesus, serving, giving, and reaching out to the community aren't really my thing, TBH, to be honest. It's just not my thing. Like, I'm not that guy. I'm not that girl That sounds weird. Jesus is uh, dealing with the same argument in Matthew chapter 12. And he's trying to separate the fans from the followers. He's trying to separate those who would actually stick with him from those who wouldn't. Honestly, those who really believed and those who didn't. And he says this in Matthew 12, 30. He says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. So do you know that you are always gathering or scattering? As you look at this room, like you are, you are making a, an imprint on people that are involved with the family of God. You're making an imprint on your coworkers, and you're either gathering them or scattering them by the way you live. And Jesus literally says, hey, if you're not with me, you're actually against me. I love the message translation of this text. It says it this way. This is war, and there is no neutral ground. If you're not on my side, you're the enemy. If you're not helping, you're making things worse. Christianity, uh, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. You're either helping or you're hurting. The two options Jesus gives us are this. Join the mission or join the enemy. There is no third option. There is no, I'm just going to kind of be a spectator. I'm just going to kind of consume, you know. I'm going to show up and just be around. You're either on mission for God or you're working for the enemy. That's what Jesus says. You can be mad at Jesus for this. Because these are harsh words. And I know like some of you are like, man, this is, this is a hard message. And trust me, like if I just wanted to make you happy, I wouldn't preach this message, right? But I see a city full of people that need to hear about Jesus. And, and for every one of you who's like, I don't want to hear it. I'm going to plug my ears. Somebody else is going to get it. And I believe that when you do, people are going to show up. And not for me, not for you, not for the show, but because they met God when they met you. And lives are changed by that. So I want you to just look at your life. Be honest with yourself. Like I know some of you have lost yourselves in the political scene over the past few years, in the COVID scene. And I want you to be real honest. Have you spent more time winning people to your political perspectives than to the kingdom of God? And if you have, maybe you've drifted from the mission. Maybe you've forgotten why you exist. Sometimes God will clarify things. And this is a clarifying moment in history. God has given you this time for whatever reason. And if you're like me, you're like, God, choose somebody else. And God's like, no, I picked you for 2021 in this world that we live in to be my hands and feet to a lost and dying world. He chose you. So what are you going to do about it? A few action steps. If you want to pull out uh, your card here. This might have been on your seat somewhere. I encourage you to find this and just tear off the little card on the bottom. We do this every week as a church family. 
just as a way to take a step forward. Um, once again, it can be easy to waste your time going to church and not doing anything with it. And all we're going to do is text you a prayer and a reminder about this this week. It's just a good, like, if you're like me, you leave church and it's easy to forget. So we want to do something with this. And so I want you to fill this out and drop it in one of the baskets on the way out. But maybe your first step is just to make Jesus the Lord and leader of your life. Maybe this is the hang-up. You're like, I thought salvation was all about me. And now that I've realized it, I'm, I wasn't even saved, maybe. Maybe you didn't realize that, that it really was all about giving glory to God himself. That he was saving you for something. And maybe you're like, today, I'm just realizing I wasn't a believer. Or maybe you're new to the church and you hear about this grace that God wants to give you. And you're like, that's what I need. I want that grace that free gift of grace. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to make that decision. Do you know people make that decision every week at ACF? Which I just love it. Uh, we baptized 14 people last week. Praise God for that. It's so amazing. I love it. I love it. I love it. Maybe you're uh, going to reflect on how you've caused disunity. Have you been part of the problem? Have you been turning secondary and tertiary issues into primary issues? Or maybe you're not, you're not sure. You're like, am I part of the problem? Maybe you're just going to reflect on that. Do you need to apologize for hurting a friendship? Maybe within the church, you have broken community with somebody because they've disagreed with you on a tertiary or, or secondary issue. And, and today you're like, man, I'm going to stop doing that. I need to go apologize for that, to that friend. Like, hey, I, I lost myself in this issue. I forgot what was most important. And I sacrificed the mission for my opinions. Maybe today you just need to commit to praying for an unsaved friend. You guys, we will keep making room for our city. We're going to continue to make room for our neighbors. So every empty seat in this room represents a friend of yours that simply might need an invitation to church. The studies have been clear forever. <laughs> as, long as, as long as it's been recorded that if you just invite a friend to church, most of them will come. People just don't get invited. And so be courageous this week. Maybe you just need to open up a spiritual conversation. Ask somebody like, hey, what do you believe about your life? Why do you exist? And just join in that conversation today. Would you stand up? I'd love to pray for us as we continue on. God, thank you so much for the church. Thank you for this opportunity we have to grow and to learn together. God, I just pray uh, for my friends and my family here, God, that we could take the mission seriously. Father, I want to pray for the person here today who has never started a relationship with you, that today could be the day that they begin that relationship. Today would be the day. If, if that's you, just pray with me. Father, I I'm asking you to come into my life, and I don't, I don't know really even how to start, but I trust that you do. God, I'm just asking you to change my life, change my heart. Take this old me and put him to death, put her to death, and raise to life a new version of myself that's in Christ Jesus. I trust that your grace is sufficient for my weakness and that you will give me the wisdom I need to, to move forward. If, if you just pray that prayer, just that simple commitment in your heart, I believe that's a decision to step from darkness into light. And Jesus, as a church family, we want to we be on mission in our city. God, break our hearts for the lost and hurting. Break our hearts for those in our community that have never heard the gospel. God, for those who are trying to just make it through life without the peace that you provide. God, forgive us for being selfish and self-centered. God, we ask you, you give us a mission and that we'd believe in it wholeheartedly and that we as a church would be one. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.